Hello everyone and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon Ballard here with my intrepid co-host, Courtney Kay. <laughs> I need to be dramatic today. <laughs> I like when you say it like that. It makes me laugh. Oh my goodness. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good. Sunny. My kitty is sitting with me. <laughs> yeah. I know it's supposed to be like 80 degrees today. I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> this weather is so bizarre. But I'll take it because I know that like January, February, March, yeah. April will be dreary again. Yes. We'll be complaining about the rain on every episode. Yeah. So forewarned. <laughs> Buckle up. Um, yeah, I had to tell my kid, I was like, because last year he kept being like, I want to get an umbrella. And I was like, no, you don't need one. Like, it's not going to rain that much. And then it just like kept raining so much. And so I was like, I think this year I have to get him an umbrella. <laughs> and he might even need, I think I have to get him like rain boots too, because there's so many puddles like in our neighborhood. So like, even when it's not raining mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know. He's it's, a nine-year-old kid, so if he sees a puddle, he's jumping in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it sucks to get your socks all wet. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to have to get you a freaking rain coat and boots and an umbrella. I did not sign up for this. <laughs> Southern California, what's happening? Excuse me. <laughs> Do you remember being in like high school and when it's raining, wearing just like flip flops to school. Oh yeah, I my mean, parents I'm still. <laughs> my parents would get so mad because I would <laughs> always get sick. Fine, I'm not cold. My toes are like bright red, <laughs> freezing cold. Well, I'm like of the mindset like I have a very specific point in the year where I will like succumb and switch from my flip flops to my Uggs, and then. <laughs> Once I switch, I am not going back until I have, like, determined that it's, like, fully time to switch. So, like, if in March, if we have a week of sunny days, I'm switching to my flip-flops and I'm not going back. Mm -hmm. So, if it's raining or if it's cold after that, then too bad. Like, That's I've made the switch and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. It actually makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for validating me. <laughs> I support you. Thank you. We all have our things. I know. Well, speaking of validation, um, we wanted to chat about one of my least favorite things today. And actually, Ooh. if you are subscribed to Alicia Thompson's newsletter, which if you're mm. not, you should be because it's amazing. Um, yes. She had talked about this, I think, like a week or two ago, where it is just like the worst time of year to be an author on social media because and it's like twofold because you're getting all of the best of lists of the year mm -hmm. which most of us are not on like that's just a numerical factual statement not every book can be on the best of lists so yeah you know that it is what it is um, and then like, as soon as we like make it through that wave, then we're hit with like the most anticipated. <laughs> so, like, it's really a double whammy of just like feeling absolutely terrible about yourself for like a month on social media. Um, and it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, and I meant, I'm sorry, last episode I meant to recommend With Love from Cold World by Alicia Thompson. Oh, as yeah. A wonderful Just, holiday book. Of course, amazing. Um, oh, I know. I know. I texted you yesterday being like, I don't think I can do social media right now. <laughs> oh, that's fair. It's fair. And it's like, you do do what you have to do to feel okay. Because I don't, I think it's just human nature to look, you know, scroll through your feed. And if you see like all these best of lists in a row, you know, it, it can get to you. Yeah. But what I started reframing it as is it's okay like if I don't get that external validation because what do I have to celebrate right now that I'm proud of you know yeah like look at everything you did this past year and be like holy shit I did the thing you know yeah whatever that thing may be and then you should celebrate it and you should Make your list that is yourself and be like, <laughs> look at this list of myself and all the things that I did. And you know what? Good for me. I did see um, Jen Comfort, who is basically my idol. Um, I know. I love she her. She made her own graphic that was like <laughs> Jen's best of of 2023. And it was just her book. And I was like, I fucking love you so much. It was so good. Do it. That should be like the new Instagram trend. Yes. Make your own best of list and it's just you. Do it. Yeah. One yeah. that kind of, it didn't bother me until, like I was able to brush it off. There's always the until, like there's mm-hmm. always the one that's going to get you <laughs> if you keep going down that road. And there was one review journal that, like, this is why it's like, I got a starred review, which is in- fucking incredible. Which is amazing. Yeah. That's going on my best of Courtney <laughs> list for 2023. <laughs> um, but I didn't make their best of list for the year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that makes me kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then um, I realized, okay, but did you get a star? Yeah. Did you get a good review? Yeah? So why are you crying? (laughs) Yeah. Why? Yeah. But I also like your feelings of feeling sad are totally valid. Yeah. And and, and, and normal. And I think we all feel that way. So, you know, you're not like out of pocket for like feeling like that. Um, But I do like the idea of sort of like reframing it in your brain because... Really, it's just a list that's like one person's opinion. Yeah. Um, that's you true. Know. Yeah. Um, but also, I like what you said. Your feelings are valid. Feel your feelings. Yeah. Because they're valid and it's human nature and we all feel it. You're not alone. I'm pretty sure every single creative right now mm-hmm. is feeling it. Mm-hmm. Even people on lists, you know? Because yeah. once you get that thing, it's like, but what right. about... I didn't get this other thing and that's not selfish or greedy or like being vain. It's just literally human nature. And in an industry where we're constantly made to compare Mm -hmm. because it's just 
how the industry is, you know, mm-hmm. that that's marketing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it, it's a very natural response. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And yeah, it's hard. It's interesting as you go further along too. Like I, so like Lisa on Love was on like a ton of most anticipated lists. Mm-hmm. And obviously those are like way easier to get on because they're long lists, you know, like most people are putting, you know, 30, 40 books, whatever on there. Um, and so I was on a whole bunch of them and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then just my type wasn't on any. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, <laughs> what happened? And I am like a little bit nervous for this year because I'm like, okay, so we're going on book three. Have people just like totally forgotten about me? I'm old news. Nobody cares. And I want to like not be affected by it, but I know that I am going to be. And so I'm like trying to like mentally prepare myself for that. I think we got like two more weeks before those lists <laughs> start coming at us. Yeah. And then we're like, oh God. Yeah. I, I also think the debut is always going to be on like a ton of most anticipated because you're a new voice. People yeah. are very curious to see what you're about. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the publishers really put the whole thing into debuts because they're launching your career. So right. I think it's really normal to be on a lot of anticipated lists as a debut and then to see that kind of shift a little bit with yeah. subsequent books. And um, it's nothing. I, yeah, I just think like bottom line for all of these lists and all of these things, it's nothing you have or haven't done. It's right. not your fault. It's nothing personal against you or your work. It's just not. It's just like one time, actually, Alicia told me when we talked about this last year, because <laughs> here we are again. Alicia was like, yeah, I mean, that's one way for readers to find your book, but there are also like a billion other ways that readers find your book. Right. You know, so just because it, you're not on a specific list or on a list um, doesn't mean that readers aren't finding you. And yeah, y- your book isn't finding the readers that really need your words. Yeah, that's so true. That is so true. So I love how we, as writers in our little circles, just have to constantly tell each other like the same things. Like I will tell you something that I yeah. then need to hear myself. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to need to hear it again. And so yeah. are you. Yeah. Winter, yeah. can you stop? Sorry. She's eating a thumbtack. Oh gosh. Hey, 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 I said stop. Oh, the adventures of, uh, I think there needs to be like a graphic novel that is like adventures of winter, the cat. <laughs> she's, she's obsessed with ponytails. So if I just like throw a ponytail in the air, she's good. <laughs> she's good for at least five, like five minutes. Uh, oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> she does. She needs her own comic strip. Oh, she does. She's like the next Garfield. <laughs> How are you feeling, though, this time oh. of year? Um, I'm okay. Honestly, I, 
never really expect to yeah. find myself on any of like the best of lists because I just don't feel, I mean, especially like, sure, there are like romance specific lists, but for the mm-hmm. most part, best of lists sort of ignore romance in general um, or pick like, you know, Iron Flame and <laughs> Emily Henry and kind of call it a day. Yeah. Um, so those ones aren't as bad. Um, but I mean, it still is like a little bit of like a oof every time you see I know. a list without you on it is, is a little bit rough. But one of my favorite things at the end of the year is all of the readers who do their favorite books. And those ones, when you get tagged in those are like, that is like the best feeling ever when Truly. a reader is like, you know, this was one of my favorite books of the year. Like that. Yeah. It's just the best feeling. I know. That's yeah. the best. And I, and I also want to say too, like <clears throat> many feelings at the same time mm-hmm. are true and valid. Like when I see my friends on list, I'm like so happy for them. Mm-hmm. And then I have that little aftertaste of sad for me. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's okay. Normal and it's okay. And it doesn't mean that your joy for your friend is any less genuine. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's complicated being human and we all have our feelings and it's okay. Yeah. We did have one really cool thing. I think it was last week when we got tagged in somebody's Spotify wrapped that we were their number one podcast. That was did cool. You I was like, that was so nice. That was so nice. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for hanging out with us. Yeah, we appreciate all of you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think it's just a a totally mind fuck kind of month. Um, and do what you need to do to protect your mental health and know that we all are going through it yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. It's a month that makes it challenging to, you know, keep your eyes on your own paper. Because it's mm-hmm. very much in your face yeah. every day. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, exactly. Just echoing what you said. Do what yeah. you got to do. It's okay. Yeah. You're going to be fine. Um, and we have another incredible episode today with one of my favorite human beings on the planet. We were mm-hmm. lucky enough that we got to hang out with Sonia and Solvang when we did our boozy book crunch and our writer's retreat. And she is just a freaking delight. And also, like, I literally yesterday, like, sent her my fantasy book, which she has already read, and was like, I'm gonna have to turn this in in, like, a few weeks. Can you read it again? And she was like, of course. And I was like, you're the best. (laughs) You're an amazing person. Um, She's just the sweetest, and I love her so much. And read to be one of my favorite books of the year, for sure. Absolutely. I love her work i love her books i love her as a person yeah love 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 so good all right so we will be right back with sonia hartle hey friends thank you so much for joining us again i'm laughing at fallon because i think when we record is it our starbucks day yeah. <laughs> i mean we, we got the same trip. did you get an iced caramel macchiato yes <laughs> Love it. Okay, well, we are extra giddy today because not just because we're caffeinated, but because we have one of our favorite people 
friends, authors of all time here, Sonia Hartle is the author of YA and Adult Romance. Her books have been featured in Pop Sugar, BuzzFeed, Vulture, Book Riot, and Life Savvy, among other publications, received a starred review from BookPage, and earned nominations for the Georgia Peach Book Award, Yalsa's Quick Picks for Reluctant Readers, Bank Street College of Education's Best Children's Books of the Years, ALA's Rise, a Feminist Book Project List, and ALA's Rainbow Book List, and was named an Amazon Editor's Pick for Best Young Adult. When she's not writing, she enjoys board games with her family, attempting to keep her garden alive, or looking (laughs) up craft projects she'll never get around to completing on Pinterest. (laughs) Sonia, how are you? Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Oh my gosh, we are so excited. I, I mean, obviously we love all of our guests and happy to meet cute, but I am always like so thrilled when it's somebody where I'm like, okay, I can just be like a total unprofessional goober idiot with this person and <laughs> they'll be okay. <laughs> yes, the best kind. <laughs> yes. We are so excited to have you and um, really excited. Well, we have a bunch of fun conversation topics, but I... Uh, have been screaming about Rent to Be for like so long now because I read it yeah. a really long time ago at this point and I just like cannot stop thinking about it. And when we had uh, Mike Lasagna on the podcast, he mentioned Rent to Be as like one of his books to look out for for this year. And we both just like completely gushed about it for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um because it's just so incredible. So I'm so excited to like actually get to talk to you about it today and like hear all of your amazing thoughts. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so, so happy to be here. Oh. And you had an amazing book launch with Meryl Wilsner, right? For Rent to Be? That's so fun. That was my first book launch. I've never done a book launch for any of my other books before because Mm -hmm. I'm so weird about like being in the spotlight, like with people watching me and like, I'm just so nervous about that kind of stuff. And I was like, I'll not, I don't want to have a book launch because nobody will come. And then I'll be like that person posting my sad seatless pictures <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> and like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and, like, and I don't want to make my like local bookstore feel bad for, you know, taking the time to host me. And it ended up being fine. People came, but I was like, of course, so nervous about it. That's oh so gosh. relatable. Every it event is. I do, I'm like, well, that's okay. If nobody comes, we'll just go to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had my my just my type launch at Ripped Bodice was on Super Bowl Sunday. Oh my gosh. Because obviously nobody in the sphere of planning this event was like, oh, that's the Super Bowl. <laughs> you should maybe not do that. <laughs> um so it it was a very quiet crowd but (laughs) like I would I would literally never know when it's the Super Bowl like I have no idea (laughs) I had no idea like literally not one person on my pub team the store myself like nobody was like hey there's this big event happening at the exact same time because none of us were aware that it was a thing that's fair (laughs) That's totally fair. (laughs) (laughs) But it was fine. It was all good. Um, 
But let's get back to the important things. So can you please tell us all about Rent to Be? So Rent to Be is about a woman named Isla Jane who just graduated with her MBA and she has a ton of student loan debt and she can't afford her rent and her student loans at the same time. So she gets kicked out of her apartment and she ends up um, thinking she's going to stay at her brother's condo while he's out of town. But surprise, his best friend is staying there also while his condo is getting renovated and she doesn't want him to know that she's been kicked out of her apartment. So she inadvertently starts this house sitting business. So she has a place to live while she's trying to dodge her uh, brother's best friend. But when he catches her sunbathing at one of those mansions, he figures out what's going on with her. And he says, if you pretend to be my girlfriend at these corporate events, I will keep your house sitting secret from your family. So fake dating, so brother's best friend, childhood friends to lovers. It is so good. Oh, thank you. And cats. So many cats. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Most important part. I think, like, I mean, obviously, I knew coming into a Sonia book that, like, the romance is going to be, like, top tier. And mm-hmm. just the steam and the tension. And it just is so, like, sexy and hot. But like what totally kind of caught me off guard in the best way about this book was just like, I have never felt seen like that. And even in those like boring lit fic books that are like, you know, purport to be all about like the serious things, I was like, you just like nailed that struggle of you've done all the right things, you've gone to school, you got your degree, and now you're like drowning in debt and unable to find a good job that is going to allow you to pay off that debt. And just like, it's just like such a feeling of like helplessness and hopelessness a lot of times. And I've never read anything that captured that feeling the way that this book did. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And that's, um, this book was mostly, I would say, inspired by like my own financial struggles when I left college, because when I graduated, I was, um, pregnant. So I had a baby on the way and I couldn't, my daycare bill in the summer alone, cause that was my second child. So my daycare bill in the summer alone was like $1,500 and I had my student loan debts that were like $1,200 a month. And then I had a mortgage and you know, I was like struggling so hard and I had a lot of private student loans. So I wasn't able to get deferments on those. And mm-hmm. I ended up having to go back to school after I had my degree just so I could get another six month deferment because I could not pay my student loan debts. And I feel like I'm not the only one that has been in that position where you go to college and you're promised this is the right path. This is the the steps you need to take to get into uh, you know, a decent career or um, get any kind of a job that's going to help you and set you up in the future. And I got my degree and I ended up working the same exact job I had while I was in college with no degree. And I didn't get anything better paying. I didn't have any more opportunities opened up to me. I just had a ton more debt to be saddled with at the end. And I think that like, as far as like education and school goes, I think it's it's great and it works for some people and it doesn't work for everyone. And I really dislike this 
this notion that it's a one size fits all path in life. Like you have to go this path when there are some careers that really don't call for a college education. Some places you have to start from the ground up and work your way up and end up uh, finding your footing in your career that way. You don't necessarily need a college degree. And I really don't like the way that we push all these kids into the system where they have to do this or they will never make it in life when maybe it's not the right choice for everybody. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong choice for everybody either. Yeah, yeah, so true. And also, you know, people who want to follow a non-traditional path and have a big passion for like um, a, a skill set and like maybe trade school would serve them better. But then they they think, no, I can't do that. I have to go to college because that's the only way that I'm going to be like financially okay in life. And then the, the system is just not set up for that. Right. Right. And like, like, for example, my daughter's in school right now and she wants to go into psychology. She wants to do like experimental research and she's going to grad school and that's like necessary for her career right. field. And I'm, you know, a hundred percent supportive, a hundred percent on board for her. But for me, it wasn't necessary. And so right. I was like, you know, I wish this was something that was talked about more honestly and more often. Like I know yeah. that they, t and I feel like, especially in high school, when we set up kids, for their uh, next steps. It's always, well, if you don't know what you want to do, if you don't have any idea, why don't you just go to college and find yourself? You know, and it's like, I don't see why an 18 year old kid has to drop 30 grand a year to find themselves when they could just as easily do that with a dime bag and a long walk in the woods. And that's a <laughs> lot cheaper. <laughs> so That's so true. <laughs> Like, and, if, you, if you don't know what you want to do, take some time to figure it out. There doesn't have to be this, like, huge, expensive, you know, life step that has to be done. You can take time to figure out what you want to do. Yeah. yeah. Even my sweet kid, who's only in seventh grade, it's already a conversation between her and her friends that, like, you know, oh, I have, I have to figure it out. I have to know so that I can have success when I graduate and I just keep emphasizing like just day by day, follow what you're interested in and it will lead you to where, you know, you want to be. And it's okay if that changes along the way, like yeah. what is making you feel like you have to have everything figured out right now? Cause it's, that's not coming from you, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I used to um, teach high school seniors and of course, the emphasis was always on, you know, like getting them ready for college. Um, but what was so like startling to me was just like, none of these kids, not none, the majority of these kids have no idea what their future career is going to be. And I mean, I was the kind of kid that was like, very motivated and very into school and a great student, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't end up knowing what my career was going to be. You know, like I went to college and became a teacher. Well, I'm not a teacher anymore. <laughs> and, you know, I still have a lot of years left before I'm like retiring from work. So it's just like, it's so unreasonable to expect an 18 year old to have the foresight to know what they're going to want to be doing for the rest of their lives and then just sort of like try and shoehorn them into something. It just doesn't make any sense. 
Right, right. And and again, I think that there's certain career paths and certain life paths that do require college. And I, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I mean, I have a degree myself, you know, I'm, uh, my daughter's going to school and she's going much further than I did. Uh, and so I'm very supportive of college in general, but only if it's the right choice for you. Yeah. Again, it doesn't have to be like a one size fits all. And I feel like there's a lot of, um, a lot of emphasis on that being the only path. So I wanted to write a book that was like, let me take a look at the other side of that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that experience is more common, you know, especially these days with like how out of control the prices have been. It's like, I think it's more, a more common experience that you graduate and are like, what do I do now? Oh shit the loan payment is due in, you know, six months and like find, I think a lot of people graduating from college these days are in that situation where they've sort of like backed themselves into a corner and they don't know how to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sad. It's sad that, that it has to be that way. The education has to be so expensive. I'm a firm believer that it should be free for all, but that's a whole different other discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, big supporters of all the free things. I would like free therapy. I would like free healthcare. I would like yes. free college. Let's make all that happen. Thank you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but on a lighter note, uh, let's talk about the romance in this book. Yes. Because it's just... It just like gives me all those little warm squishies. Um, so what was your inspiration for their uh, relationship? Well, I don't have a brother, so I never had a brother's best friend. But man, do I love that trope. Like, I just love it. It's so like, there's so much opportunity for tension and will they, won't they? And there's so many like valid reasons for why that relationship uh, is shouldn't. we shouldn't go there with that and I really when I was writing this I really didn't want it to come from a point of my brother's gonna be mad at me if I you know what I mean if I date his best friend or it's gonna you know what I mean mess up their relationship I started that like as like their justification in the beginning but I also wanted to be like you know what these are adults like he's not is he really gonna be that mad that she's dating his best friend so let's like dig a little deeper into like the larger family issues and I love a boy next door trope too. So I had to get that in there as well. And I I really wanted to kind of uh, touch a little bit in the relationship since I did talk so much about financial struggles within the book. I also wanted to talk about the types of like microaggressions that come when you're in a situation where uh, someone is more well off than you and the things that they say that they don't necessarily realize are hurtful. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and can really stick with somebody and somebody can internalize that. And it kind of, um, it kind of had a lot to, uh, with how Cade, when he grew up, his own reflection of himself and the Mm -hmm. way that he viewed himself because of the things that Isla's parents would say when he was younger. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, it was, I don't know. I wanted it to be like a sweet romance, but I also kind of wanted to like dig into like that financial struggle on that end as well. It was perfect. And the characters are so like fleshed out and well-developed. And I also love that the like 
brother's best friend almost lends to kind of a nod to like friends, childhood friends to lovers in this situation. Mm-hmm. Because obviously they knew each other growing up, but now that they're adults, they get to know each other on a whole different level and understand things more deeply about each other. Yeah. And I love childhood friends to lovers too. That trope is so amazing. Mm-hmm. I just love the idea of like growing up with someone and always seeing them a certain way yes. and then all of a sudden starting to see them in a different light and the kind of self-realization that you have when you begin to see them that way is, I don't know, it's a cool trope. Agree. Yeah. 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 I've honestly, like, I've never thought about writing a brother's best friends, but every time I read one, I'm like, this book just like hits different. I don't know. It's just something about it that is just, it's, it's top tier. Um, do you have like a favorite trope to write? Like one you keep coming back to? Oh, I, I don't know. I come back, I go to, I do fake dating actually quite a bit. Oddly enough, I love fake dating. It's because it, there's just so much fun for like hijinks and I love writing hijinks. So like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of hijinks and fake dating that I really like. Um, Enemies to Lovers is one that I come back to just because it's such a classic <laughs> and it's so fun too. Um, and I'm learning that like, it's so different when you do it like in a contemporary setting versus when you do it in like a fantasy setting, like the difference in like how enemy these enemies can be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, um, in yeah. fantasy they can actually like want to kill each other like yeah. literally yeah. <laughs> yeah like literally and nobody's gonna call that toxic <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so true <laughs> what else are they gonna do with their daggers <laughs> right <laughs> besides hold it to each other's throats and then right. end up kissing <laughs> now i'm off <laughs> oh my gosh um yeah i know that romanticity is fun because it lets you get away with things that you can't just do in real life yeah that's why why we like it that's the funnest part about it is like how how like aggressive can i go on this if it turns out like really aggressive (laughs) and it's fun yeah fun um, I don't want to get too off topic because I know we'll probably touch on this a little bit later, but I got to beta read Sonia's romanticy that she is working on. And there were times, Yay. Sonia, when I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, I felt like I was going to like internally combust. <laughs> but what's so wild is like, like, that's the kind of thing, like, the hero in Sonia's romanticy is like very, very like controlling and demanding. And that's the kind of thing that like in a contemporary, I'd be like, this is disgusting. But I was like (laughs) reading your book and I was like, I need more of this. (laughs) Like that guy in my romanticy, you will never catch me putting him in a contemporary. It would be like, the most red flags like unless he was the villain and he ends up in jail later like he would never get to be that guy in my contemporaries oh shit oh it's just like i just love it it was amazing we'll talk more about it later because it's it's incredible um but yeah i don't know court did you have anything else on rent to feed because it's just so good Uh, oh my god what inspired the (laughs) Like, 
just like the whole the whole vibe the whole setting like what brought in like the house sitting for you and what brought in the different characters and the different like I re- I specifically remember the relationship between you know your main character and her mom and like how it just like some relationships don't always end up perfectly you know and that was really cathartic and healing to read um and just like how how did you develop this whole like like you said the family dynamics and then the whole world um so like i said it was like like before it was my struggle with my own student loan debt but also um like i wanted to have i wanted to show um kind of the ways that um like a lot of people that are born into working class families are taught to blame people that are less fortunate than them for situations that are actually being caused and derived by people that have much, much more than them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because Isla's parents are not well off. I mean, they're not, um, they're not rich parents. They're not upper middle class. They're working class people who just happen to have a little bit more than their next door neighbor, but not enough to really set them apart. Um, But I feel like there's this, I don't know, this lie that rich people sell poor people that you can have everything that we have if you just follow these rules. And they don't really talk about um, the things that they do to keep them down and keep them in debt. And so I wanted to kind of build a family relationship around those dynamics, especially when you have like an older generation that grew up on that, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard, you'll get by in life when they had a different set of circumstances in life than the newer generation has, because things did cost less back then. Wages were higher in compared to the way that things cost back then. And education was much cheaper back then. So it's like, People and I don't think Isla's parents are necessarily bad people. They're just a reflection of that generation's mindset, to where they they honestly cannot relate to what the younger generation is going through because it's not something they've ever really dealt with themselves. Yeah. yeah. Was there anything so you put in this book that was just like a complete self indulgence for you? Um, everything is a self indulgence. Am <laughs> <laughs> I right? I love that. <laughs> As it should be. (laughs) It's all it's all just me indulging my whims when I'm writing. I love it. And I actually have a question that might lead us into the next topic, but you are a highly prolific writer. Um, how? (laughs) Um, I don't have a life, so there's that. (laughs) So um, I do spend a, a lot of time writing, I would say, but um, I'm a qu- I've always I've been a fast writer, and that's not something that I used to be. But it's like I had, I mean, I had seven books written before my debut was published, so I'm like, I'm almost like twenty books in deep now with like how many books I've written. So I'm I'm more like I'm quicker because the process is faster for me now because I'm more familiar with the way that I do things, and I just have a schedule and I stick to it, and yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's, I'm a fast drafter. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's helpful. May I that ask does. what your schedule looks like? Um, so I'll wake up in the morning an hour before I have to get my daughter up and get her ready for school. And I'll write for an hour in the morning. And in the morning is when I can usually hammer out the most words because it's when I'm up and I'm fresh and I'm like, 
usually I wake up because I'm having dreams about my books they're on my mind so much I'll have all these weird dreams and then I'll wake up and I'll be like I gotta write this idea down now (laughs) so I like get up and I get done get on the computer and in that first hour of the day I can usually get a thousand words down easily and then at night I'll write um you know I'll come home spend time with my family do dinner get my youngest you know um set up for the shower and then homework and then bed and then I have two hours at the end of the night where I'll write at the end of the night and I can usually get 1500 words in in those two hours because then I slow down a little bit but I found that if I take time for myself every night to do the things that I want to do like I'll puzzle for half an hour or read for half an hour do something you know what I mean that's just for me or watch a show or do something that's like kind of calms my mind down then I'm ready to like focus and work for those two hours so I don't like check my phone or go on social media mm-hmm. and I try to stay very focused and when I'm on a deadline I can usually write a between 2,500 and 3,000 words a day that's awesome if I put myself on a deadline yeah yeah I love that yeah um can you walk us through a little bit like because you are a hybrid author, so you have some self-pub titles and then you have some traditionally published titles. Um, can you kind of walk us through like how you decided to go down that path and, and do both? Yeah, it's actually um, my path started um, just from a place of extreme bitterness. And I probably, <laughs> probably shouldn't say that, but I mean, no, it's, we love that. <laughs> facts um 2021 was a rough year for me it was a rough rough year in publishing for me um it was the year that my YA book my last YA book came out and my publisher did not actually print enough copies of my book and I was without a published book on the shelf for the first three and a half months I remember that my and it was it was I was pretty pissed. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm still really bitter about that. And because I'm a Scorpio, I will probably never let that go. But um, that's fair, and, though. Yeah, it was, it was it was rough. It was a rough time. And then at the same time, my um, on a lesser scale, because just regular publishing stuff was my adult debut um, was they didn't pick up my option, but I had that was rent to be was my option. I had that written in April of 2021 and they said, yeah, we're going to probably buy it, but we have to see what your sales are to see how much we can offer you for it. And then a month after my sales came out, they were like, you know what? We're not actually not going to buy it at all because of the penguin random house, Simon and Schuster merger. They said that they were trying to get away from romance, which is like, so not true. <laughs> they, the dumbest they, sentence ever uh, uttered. They have they have since acquired many romances. Oh <laughs> my god! And I'm just like, you know, I am an adult. You can just tell me my sales and my reviews were not where you wanted them to be for this book, and that's fine. I can handle that. And I understood going into Heartbreak for Hire, the type of book that I was writing, and I knew it was going to be polarizing. And I was, I knew it wasn't going to appeal to everybody and I was fine with that. But um, I kind of wish that if Simon and Schuster had known ahead of time that they weren't going to buy my option, they would have let me go when rom-coms were more booming at that time. Because it was a harder sell for me on rent to be after my sales numbers and reviews came out. So um, at that point, I was thinking when I went on sub with rent to be, I was honestly thinking I wouldn't sell it at all. I didn't think it was going to sell. And I kind of thought, and I refused to write another YA after what happened with my last one. I was like, I'm, 
I'm done with YA. Like mm. <laughs> to that point, I was like, I just, every time I would sit down to think of a YA idea, I would literally get like physically ill thinking mm. about writing another mm. way. Like I just couldn't do it anymore. So um, I was thinking at this point, my career is totally dead. And I was like, I have, I mean, what are my options in this point out? Can I continue to stay on the traditional publishing hamster wheel or should I do some things to take my career into my own hands for once? Um, because I feel like in this day and age with the way that social media is and the way that marketing works now and how much is put on the authors anyways, <laughs> I feel like we have so many more options for ourselves than what we used to have. And I still like, there's certain things about traditional publishing that I do like. So I'm still, I'm still hybrid. You know what I mean? I still want to sell books in the traditional publishing market, but I don't feel like I'm so dependent on them to where um, it makes me like, I hate having my career in somebody else's hands to the point of where it makes me like anxious to, to like where I can't, cause that doesn't help mm -hmm. me produce my best work either. Cause I'm so worried about, you know, what are editors going to think of this? What are readers going to think of this? And when I'm self-publishing, I don't have to think about any of that. I can just put out what I want to the market. So yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, um, First of all, Heartbreak for Hire is fucking incredible. Um, yeah, seriously. Oh. And, sorry, everybody should buy it. To interject really quickly, it's wild to me to judge sales numbers after one month. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. That's wild. That's dumb. <laughs> sorry. That's no, I agree. And I feel like traditional publishing is so, like, vested in, like, that first month. Like, if you don't sell out that first month, then your book is dead in the water. And I have learned myself from like, I mean, last month, um, my, my uh, first copy in my Zodiac Cove book, my self-published book, I sold more copies last month than I did in the first four months of that book's release, just in one single month. You know, it takes time to build word of mouth. It takes time to like build a, an audience for your books. And I feel yeah. like traditional publishing doesn't really respect the actual reader's process of finding books. Mm -hmm. That's so true. That's so true. Um, I saw something the other day, like, I think it was on threads where somebody was like, you shouldn't pay attention to like the early reviews of your book because it's not until the readers who are searching out your book find it. Those are the reviews that really mean something because those are the people that are specifically drawn to your book. And it's going to take time for them to look for it and find it. Whereas like in the beginning, when your arcs go out and you have all these, you know, reviews coming in, like those aren't necessarily like your targeted reader for that specific book. And I was like, oh my God, like I never, I never thought about that yeah, that way. I didn't either. But that is so yeah, true. Yeah, that is so true. And like my, um, my trade reviews for that book were for Heartbreak for Hire were not great. Like across the board, the trade reviews were bad, which is again, fine. I understood that when I put it out, Dumb. it was going to be a polarizing book. I knew what I was writing. Like, you know what I mean? I knew it was going to be, you know, not for everyone and that's okay. I'm still happy with what I put out. I thought it was hilarious. So anyway, I'm fine with it, but it was, it made it harder for me to get my options sold. Um, so um, so anyway, so the next day, the day after Simon Schuster said they weren't going to buy my option, I sold the television rights for it. And so I took that money 
And I said, that's my FU money. I'm going to publish my own books now. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. So that's what I did. I love it. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, and I think, like, I... I love that authors are branching out more into being hybrid. I love all of these like Kickstarter things that people <clears throat> are doing. And I just think there's like so many different avenues to get your books in the hands of readers. And I feel like everybody should be able to, you know, explore those different options, however they want to. Absolutely. And I feel like going hybrid for me has done wonders for my mental health specifically, because I feel like when my career is so dependent on other people and what other people's opinions are of my book, it makes me very anxious. And it makes me almost feel like I need to create within a box of other people's expectations of what I think other people mm. want. And I'm at that point, not really being true to my own writer voice. I'm not being true to my own stories and it reflects in the quality of what I put out. Um, but with, when I feel like I have more control and I feel like my career is in my hands, no matter which way it goes, um, I'm so much calmer about the whole process. Like I'm about to go on submission either this week or next week. And I'm so calm about it. I'm just like, if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's fine. I'll be fine either way. And there's a lot of power in knowing that you're okay either way it does a lot for my anxiety yeah that's amazing what has been sort of like the the hardest thing about self-pub oh it's so there's a lot <laughs> there's a, it's very hard it's very it is very hard it's very rewarding but I don't want to like downplay like and say it's very easy because it's not it's mostly I would say getting the word out there about your books is very hard because um there's it's surprising. Well, it wasn't really surprising to me, I guess, but um, I I kind of thought when I self-published that I would have more people from my traditional published books, more readers come carry over to my indie books. And that's not, not necessarily what happened. I actually have, I feel like my readers are two different readers, um, probably because I'm writing in two different genres. That probably doesn't help, <laughs> like the crossover appeal there. But um there's a lot of like people that will read like, cause my book, my indie books are in Kindle Unlimited. There's a lot of people that when they read in Kindle Unlimited, they won't read outside of that. They will just read what's in KU. Um, so I don't really get a lot of crossover into my traditional books. And then people that um, just read my traditional books may not be interested in like the genre I'm writing in, in my indie books. So I don't really have as much crossover. So mainly it was getting the word out there, but um like social media has been extremely helpful in that, like doing TikTok and doing reels and you know what I mean? All of that stuff. But, but it's still like difficult to get the word out there. Cause there's a lot of indie publisher or indie authors that do really, really, really well. And a lot of people seem to think that's the norm and that is like not at all the norm. <laughs> and then there's ones that don't do well at all that will sell maybe one book yeah. a month. And people start to think that's also the norm. And the norm is actually somewhere in the middle, I would say. Yeah. yeah. What would you say to me? <laughs> I was like going to say someone, but I'm not going to be coy. How would I begin? How Like, how do you start? Like, where do you even begin? Um, so I joined like a lot of Facebook groups to like educate myself a lot before I started the process of publishing. Um, I did a lot of like research on like, 
like what covers appeal to the genre that I'm writing in. I wrote, I read a lot of books in that genre, you know, that are in the KU umbrella um, to see kind of what readers' expectations were. And I still didn't hit those reader expectations quite on because I still wanted to do like my own thing. You know what I mean? I was like, no, I kind of want to do like, this is what I want to do. And it doesn't really fit into like, this expectation, but it still kind of works in my own weird way. But um, it's, it's, um, I guess just mainly it was a lot of research, like what to do, um, how to upload, how to get word out about your books. Should you do arc reader? Should you not, you know, um, should you do a free reader magnet to like build your newsletter? Should you not? Like there's all these like pros and cons and stuff I had to weigh before I actually went in and and did it. So I had, I planned to start self-publishing in um, August of 2021. And I didn't actually put my first book out until 2022. Um, Cause I wanted time to like really get a solid footing on what I was doing before I just started flinging books out into the universe. <laughs> and yeah. the timeline is faster, yes. right? It's like so you, much faster. You publish quickly. Yeah. It's so much faster. And I think, um, I think it's because reader expectation for indie books is much faster. The algorithm favors books that come out much faster. So if you want to stay like up on the Amazon algorithm, you really do have to publish like once at least every three months to like get the favorable algorithm, I guess, <laughs> is what they say. What they say. Oh, I don't know if that's, that's true or real. not. But Oh, um, damn. Yeah. So I put myself on a pretty brutal timeline with these books. I had three of them written before I even published the first one. So I like stockpiled a little bit before I went in to give myself some breathing room. But okay. um, yeah, I would say the fast release was a good strategy for these books. And um, if I do another set, and I don't know, depends on how sub turns out. Um, if I do another set, then I will probably stockpile again and then release the series much more quickly. Smart. yeah so the whole thing is so fascinating to me um and it's just like so much of it sounds so appealing um but i also know how much work it is mm -hmm. on yeah on your end as the author and that part is like i think the part that scares me yeah it's a completely <laughs> different business and i think even the way that i approach the writing is different because when if, if i'm setting up a book for traditional publishing i'm gonna do several rounds of edits on it i'm going to like make it the traditional length that's acceptable per you know publishing standards like I'm going to do like I'm going to hit certain plot points at these certain times you know according to what you know traditional publishing seeks in their story structures where with indie publishing I'm like I'm I do less um revision because I'm I'm putting more faith in the original story I'm telling you know what I mean so I I um mm. I I guess it's not that I'm I'm doing less work on it. It's just less um, second guessing what I'm writing. Like I plot it out mm. more thoroughly because I'm releasing books so fast. I need to have the whole, I need to know what I'm doing going in, like all the way up to the end. So I have more of a concrete plan, I guess you would say, going into the indie book. So I am able to write them faster, draft them faster, revise them faster um, with that intention of getting them out there faster. And I also don't necessarily hit the same plot points as I would um, per editor expectations. I don't have the same word count as traditional publishing expectations, that kind of stuff. Sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it makes it a little bit easier when you're going in. Because sometimes I feel like I've had to like build up my story to hit a certain word count where 
I wouldn't have yeah. necessarily added certain things in, you know, yeah, on my on my own, doing it on my yeah. own. Yeah, that's so true. All right, well, if I ever take the leap, I'm gonna be calling you. <laughs> I know. <Please> do. <laughs> I need to like get my shit together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the thing for me is like, I know I have talked about this on the podcast before is like, I am a very fast drafter as well. And I just write more than traditional publishing is going to allow me to publish. Um, You know, like my publisher, I'm not in a point in my career where my publisher is going to let me do more than one book a year Um, because they just, they don't have the need for it. And, um, they don't have the time in their schedule for it. Um, so, but I write more than that. So I, you know, am sitting on manuscripts that I would like to do something with. Yeah. So, yeah. That's totally yeah. valid. And it's nice that you have options to do that too. Like, I feel like now more than yeah. ever, it's easier to get your books out there. Right. And yeah. Yeah. yeah there's so many different, so many ways. different avenues Very to take. Cool. So it's it's very cool it's a very cool thing so if you ever decide to do anything with those manuscripts let me know and yeah i'll point you to all the resources that i used (laughs) yes yeah for sure thanks all right we're gonna do a hard pivot into something that uh our listeners know very well is a favorite (laughs) of mine um i do want to state for the record so we are recording this on October 10th. So we have not seen the final episodes yet. Um, but I feel like we know how everything's going to go down. <laughs> but <laughs> this is maybe the messiest season of Love is Blind in the history of the show. It is, I just like, there are no words. Um, so Sonia, I would love to hear your thoughts and then we can spend the next hour talking about this travesty of a show. I like literally hate everyone this season. (laughs) Like everyone. I I don't want any of them to get married. I think they all need therapy and just to be off the show. (laughs) In general, this is like the worst cast. And but you know what? It's like, but I'm. This is what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for the happy couples. I signed up to watch the, right. the train wrecks. So they are delivering right. on that front, big time. Yeah. What is strange to me about it is I feel like every season we have like a Lauren and Cameron, yeah. where it's like I need like one couple that I can be like truly happy for that they found each yeah. other and we do not have that this None year of it. and i like i cannot stand any of them none of them <laughs> none of them they're all the worst and i just i mean i oh i i know i love having one couple to root for and i don't necessarily want to see right. a ton of them on my screen because you know like love is blind but it's also very boring when it's like happiness <laughs> when there's no conflict <laughs> so like right. I'm very happy yeah. for the for the couples that are doing great but they do add a nice balance to the show to where it's not like just I don't feel like I'm watching an episode of Jerry Springer where like this right these couples are so terrible they're all terrible people yeah. they're all terrible for each other I don't know how anybody left those pods engaged no, I, yeah, I don't get it at all. Um, 
Are you on Love is Blind TikTok at all? I have looked at a couple of TikToks on my, I have a side TikTok account that I use to just watch whatever I want on there. Amazing. It's <laughs> smart. And I have watched a couple of videos and I'm like, well, everybody on here seems to agree with me that everybody on here is terrible. But I'm learning that like, yes, I'm learning all kinds of like insider <laughs> info too. Like Milton had a long-term girlfriend before he came on the show that he dumped. And that somebody's saying either Izzy or Uchi had a girlfriend that he wanted to take to Mexico that he called right after they got out of the pods. And I was like, there's just so much drama. And there's like <laughs> just all kinds of behind the feet. Like, I guess the show is getting sued because people weren't allowed to eat. Yes. And What? Yeah. yeah. Not allowed to yeah. eat? So I have seen some TikToks saying that the reason we only have three couples this year, who one of whom has already fallen apart, so we only have two couples at this point, is because, so one couple's story was taken out because the woman is suing the show. Oh, shit. Um, and then the other couple is Renee and the bald guy with the beard. I can't remember his name. Um, but like... Like, Renee was at, like, the wedding dress shopping day. Yeah. And they were both at the little, like, mixer yeah, thing that they yeah. did at the um, apartment. And so, apparently, they also got engaged and were filmed the whole time and had the wedding and did the whole thing. They're not married, but they had the wedding. Um, but one of them was, like, found to be in breach of contract. <gasps> and so, they edited oh, them shit. out of the show. And what? Uh, I didn't know that. I was wondering yeah. why she was getting so much screen time. I was like, Yeah, why was this girl always on camera? <laughs> like, did they really want her to get engaged? So I'm assuming that like one of them had like a long term partner kind of a oh. thing. I can't imagine what else they would do in breach of contract that would unless they're already make married. Get... Right. Like edited out of the show. Of the whole thing was like so wild. Um, oh, but I was like, I would like to have seen all of that. Yeah. Yeah. You filmed it. Show <laughs> us. Come on. Show us. I want to see. But I just, um, I don't even know. I feel like my whole sense of being able to judge people, and I don't mean that in like a judgy way. I mean, a little bit in a judgy way, <laughs> but like... <laughs> Because in the first, like, few episodes, I was like, oh, my God, like, Lydia is so amazing. Like, she's such a great friend. And she's, like, there for all the girls. This is so great. And then, like, two episodes later, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, that's, I, I had the same vibe. I was like, oh, she's so sweet. Look at her taking care of Aaliyah like that. And then you you find yes. out what happened and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, that was just uncalled for but again again i feel that the way that uchi painted her for the cameras yeah. was oh, for sure. way over the top when he's saying because he's sitting there saying oh these all these girls were messaging me saying that you were looking at their stories look here's my proof right here and it's literally one dm from one girl right. <laughs> and then he's like you drove by my house and took a picture that said i see you and she's like it's because i was driving by your house and i saw you <laughs> yeah he's really painting the like crazy ex-girlfriend yeah. 
you know, trope. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not totally buying that. But um, especially because no, a lot also, of the other girls were having it. Like Miriam went hard right. on him. She's like, I'm not. She's like, I'm yeah. not Lydia. Like, no. I'm not Aaliyah. You're not gonna make me cry. I'm gonna drag <laughs> you for the dirt you are. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. amazing. That. Um, and I just, I feel like this is the only season I have watched of this show so far where, um, like the girls have their little groups of friends, but I feel like they don't like any of the guys. I feel like the guys don't like each other. Like normally there feels like a little bit of like camaraderie there, but I feel like they all hate each other. Um, and it just is, I, I don't know. This season it's just feels wild. very toxic. It's wild. And you know, and, and the way that I keep flipping on people too from episode to episode, because I would say like in the past, yes. I was so anti-Johnny. And then at oh, the yeah. at the meetup that they had afterwards, when Izzy started going hard on her, I was like, dude, this does not make you yeah. look cool. I was like, this makes you no. look like an asshole. Can I say that on this? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But I was like, okay, so now I felt bad for her because he's sitting there like making her cry and he's bragging about how he went so hard on her that he made her cry. And it's like, that makes you look like yeah. an ass. Like you're not cool at all. And Ew. Uh, I just, and then the way that JP was talking to Taylor about how no. if I was her at the end of that conversation, I would have shown up to their breakup wearing full clown makeup. I would have been, <laughs> I would have been wearing as much makeup as could fit on my face <laughs> when I had that final confrontation with yeah. him. I, um, I, my husband sometimes watches the show at work when they're on breaks. Um, and, but he hadn't seen that episode Love yet. Him. And I was like, I was in our room and he was in like his little man cave in the back of the house. And I texted him and I was like, JP just told Taylor that she can't have makeup and she looked fake. Da, da, da. And he like came in the room and was like, are you okay? And I was like, okay. Like you cannot believe he had the audacity to say that to her. I was like, I cannot wow. either. And the way that he was like, every woman would be happy to be told she looks better without makeup. I'm like, have you even met a woman before? Like, what, what is wrong with you? I wow. mean, I knew from the moment JP cried into an American yeah. flag in the pods, I was like, what? this is a no all oh, around yeah, for me. For, for the way that he was like constantly stroking himself to the red, white, and blue, I was like, uh, girl, if you couldn't read the MAGA vibes from that, from like a mile away, you are on your own. Right? Yeah. Oh. And then, and then she, um. she gets out of the pods and I can see the way she was side-eyeing his haircut. And I'm like, he looks like a Republican. What did you expect? Like, yeah. This he is looks, what you signed up for. He he only owns clothing items that have American flags all over yeah. them. And, but there are, okay, so when we, we, are, when we are done recording, you need to go look at his, the photos of him that have popped up on TikTok where he is like wearing eyeliner and posing in some ways that I'm like, Something, something's going on with JP. So is he like playing a character for the show? 
I don't know. It's very strange. He's still, he had, um, so these pictures are going around, and I think it's, like, from his birthday party, where he had, like, an America-themed birthday Ew. party. Oh, my. But he is, like, wearing eyeliner and, like, on, like, a stripper pole, like, posing on a stripper pole. And just, <laughs> it's like, what's happening right now? I don't understand. Um, these are conflicting but... signals. They're fascinating <laughs> photos. This whole cast <laughs> is conflicting. This whole cast is yes. conflicting. Like every other day, I feel yes. something new about every single person in those pods. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. the only person that I like at this point is Aaliyah because she was smart enough to get out. <laughs> she was like, I yes. am done with this circus. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> oh, yes, she was the smartest person on the show. And we haven't really touched on Stacey. Um, but Oh, that conversation that she had with Izzy about like, and to be fair, I don't think that Izzy is being honest with her about like his financial issues. Um, But Mm -hmm. her conversation that she had with him, I was just like, this is. Yeah, that was like a hard one to, to sit through where she was just like, so judgmental about it. And I was like, like, I get it. Like, you want to have nice things. Like, you make good money for yourself and you want a partner that, like, is equal to you. Like, that's totally fair and valid. But, like, you knew that he wasn't on that level when you said yes to marrying him. So oh, right. Ugh. Right. And the way that she was going at him about his plastic dishware, I'm like, maybe the dude just doesn't like to do oh, dishes. Because yeah. you know what? I don't like to do yeah. dishes either. So I, I totally. feel that. but. Also, I really don't think that that apartment that he brought her to, I don't think that's his. I think that's an Airbnb he rented out. Yeah, that would not surprise me. Because he said, he said, um, I think in the pods, that he has really bad credit. Mm. Which I was like, you know what? Like, that is another thing that is totally valid. Yeah. Like, many, many people get themselves into a situation in their 20s when they have bad credit. Because yep. that's the way the system is designed. And that's not entirely your fault if you're like in that position. Um, no, but yeah, I kind of got that off vibe too. I was like, if you have bad credit, how did you get this apartment by yourself? Right. Yeah, I don't think that's his apartment. And <laughs> and I think the fact that he kept trophies from all his past conquests was gross and weird. Um, but also, yes. the, the reason that I dislike Izzy is like a mile long list of things, and his credit has nothing to do with it. So, like, <laughs> leave right. the man and his finances alone. Like, he has so many right. other things wrong with him. Just go after those things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think what's interesting, though, is I think that those things that are wrong with him, Stacy, for the most part, actually likes. Yeah. Like, she liked that he like went after Johnny. She was like all about that so it's like she's supportive of these like super gross red flags but then it's like oh wait you don't have money um that i can't handle and i'm like right she's like lay into another woman so hard that she cries i'm totally cool with that but have a plastic spoon in your drawer no that's a deal breaker (laughs) like what these people. <laughs> They're terrible. They're the worst. <laughs> wow. I did, I did love when Stacy's dad was like, you know, sometimes love likes to fly first class. And I was like, yeah, it does. I'm not going to lie. 
And okay, when when he when Izzy was sitting outside with the dad in those chairs, and his feet were hanging off the ground, and somebody said that he looked like Elf on the Shelf. I cannot unsee that (laughs) at all. Oh my god, (laughs) that's amazing. Um, Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm assuming that neither of our two remaining couples are going to actually say yes. Like I can't imagine. I hope not for all their sakes. And I mostly at this point, I'm just like, I would like to get to the reunion immediately. And also, I really hope Vanessa and Nick are not the ones hosting the reunion. But of course, they will be. And um, what I need from the reunion is like a call in where like, viewers can call in and ask like legitimate real questions, instead of like the bullshit fluff that they normally throw at them. Because I have so many unanswered questions and I need to get to the bottom of everything. And I really do not want to hear Vanessa say one thing about babies at this reunion at all. God. (laughs) At all. (laughs) I'm hoping that she is aware enough that she realized how skewered she got on the last one (laughs) for it. I don't think she cares um, about not you know, necessarily like how that question comes across to the people she's asking it. But I think she's aware enough to know that how it comes across to the audience is not favorable. And so she might change her behavior because of that. Yeah. Hopefully. We'll see. Oh, that was such a train wreck last year. I just, it was awful. Yeah. I mean, just when we thought like last year was like pretty messy and pretty bad, but, um, Wow, the season is really blowing it out of the water. Last season was messy, but we had Brett and Tiffany last season, and they were darling. Yeah, see, we needed that. We need that anchor to like keep us keep us in the good place a little bit. (laughs) There's no anchor right now. There's no anchor. Oh my god! There's only two couples left. Oh my god! So and they both suck. They're they're both here. I don't want either one of them to get married. I just (laughs) I want so much better for all of them. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily want better for them. I want I want them to be better. <laughs> yes. There you go. There you go. That's what I'm trying to really say. <laughs> that none of them yes. none of them deserve each other, yet they all deserve each other. It's it's a, it's right. a paradox. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, because really, truly, Milton, to me, is the only person left in that little foursome that is not, like, completely terrible. But even he apparently is coming in with all of this baggage that, like, so we're not necessarily seeing it on the show, but, like, because it's 2023, we know everything about these people's lives. And so, like, that makes him not desirable right either. and he's the most normal on the show he's like if, if i didn't know anything yeah. about his life outside of this i would say he is the only one is worth rooting for on the show yeah and i would be like run milton run from this circus <laughs> you don't belong here <laughs> but, but apparently oh, he fits man. right in right right so <laughs> oh my god okay well um Amazing. maybe you and I need to hop on like an Instagram live after we see the next couple episodes <laughs> and share our share thoughts. thoughts on this total mess. Because <laughs> I'm not on I'm not yes. on Twitter anymore, so I'm like that's where I used to talk about Love is Blind all right? the time and now I don't I'm not on there to talk about it. So Where's the outlet? Are you threading? Yeah. No, I can't threads is way too chaotic for me. It's just <laughs> <laughs> I can't and it's keep it, up. That, 
the one thing that threads does not i mean there's a lot of things that thread just doesn't have but the main thing for me is that like there's nowhere for me to go to like check on my reality tv shows like i used to take great pleasure in like checking the you know real housewives of orange county tag like after each episode and you can't do that there and like that really is a big downside yeah Yeah. like i'm I'm like i just want to like pull up the love is blind tag and read everybody's messy thoughts on these messy characters yes and yeah like i want to jump in and say my two cents here and there where i feel the need but like now i can only talk about it with people at work because like (laughs) because <laughs> i because instagram is so like photo like heavy yeah and yeah so i can't like take a picture of milton and be like let's talk <laughs> you know? like, damn elon musk <laughs> like that's not how that works uh, so <laughs> yeah it's so true Ugh. all right well before we let you go we need to hear what you are working on next because we have hinted about this amazing romanticity that you have coming up um, I have been lucky enough to read it, but can you, I mean, you can share with us whatever you're comfortable sharing, whatever you're able to share, but we would love to hear a little bit about sure. it. It's, um, so my romanticy that is either going on sub this week or next week, or, um, uh, it'll come out one way or another. So if it doesn't sell, I'll self-publish it. If it sells, then it'll come out, you know, when it does. Um, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, Enemies to Lovers, Princess Bodyguard, Romanticy, set in a second world fantasy world, um, loosely based on Norwegian folklore, and is inspired by, like, the corporate takeover of farms in um, the way specifically seed patenting has given rise to rural poverty and sort of set that in a fantasy world. Wow. And it's incredible. And so hot, it will melt your face off. (laughs) (laughs) And has the most amazing ending. Like, I I think I was reading it on my Kindle. And I just, like, it was, like, one of those where I, like, threw the Kindle, like, across (laughs) the room. Because I was just, like... Damn it, Sonia. Oh my God. It's got, yeah, it does have a big plot twist at the end. And I was like, the whole time I was like, is this, am I being too obvious with this? And then I was like, no, I don't think, I don't no. think it was too obvious at all. So good. I had, I had no idea. And it's really hard to surprise me because I read so much that like I pick up on the majority of plot twists like pretty early on. And I uh-huh. had did not see that one coming i tried to I like cannot wait to read this i was kind of hoping to move it in a direction of like you might think that there's like a situation going to happen in book two with the main character and this other character and then i was trying to like make that a red herring and then when you get to the end and you find out like what is actually going on it i was hoping it would be a big surprise so it's so amazing um all right last thing before we let you go can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media not on not twitter, on twitter. i am no longer there um i am on instagram at hartle sonia i'm on tiktok at sonia hartle books and i i mean i guess i'm a blue sky find me somehow <laughs> i don't know what the handle is i'm not on there enough to to give the handle and um That's and fair. i'm technically on threads but again you will rarely find me there so mostly instagram yeah, these days we feel that you know what's so funny is i started 
like re-listening to some episodes, like our very first episode. And it's right when like Twitter started to go downhill and every guest we've had on the podcast, it's the same. We're like, we're, we're, we're lost. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And fuck Twitter. (laughs) No, it's so sad too, because that was just like the easiest social media platform to be on. It was so easy. Like everything else requires so much work. And I'm just like, ugh. I don't want to deal with all of it. And I don't yeah. want to like build up a whole new platform and go to this new place and try to start all over. Right. And yeah. It's it a is. lot. It's a lot. And threads just isn't as fun. I mean, I know Twitter turned into a giant cesspool and was very toxic a lot of the times, but there was also fun to be had on Twitter and that threads is just not giving yeah. me that vibe. Yeah. That's what I miss is the fun. Yeah. I don't miss the, the toxicity of it. And I don't miss like, yeah the meanness of it sometimes but I do miss the community and I miss the people that I interacted with on there you know and I gotten pretty good towards the end of curating my following list and you know making it more people I wanted to interact with but um yeah I miss that I do miss that I know yeah I know for sure for sure same um well Sonia this has been incredible uh we will have you back on the podcast anytime because you are delightful and um i guess when your fantasy when your romanticy book comes out we'll have you i back. would love to be back this was yes, so fun please. thank you for having me we adore you oh my gosh yes our pleasure and by the time you're listening to this it will have passed but we will see you next weekend for a boozy book brunch and we're so excited oh my god next weekend what i know wild all right well thank you sonia thank you listeners for listening and we'll chat with you more next week Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore k k a e on all social media platforms and you can find me fallon ballard at fallon ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media if you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to zachary kibby and matt ballard for our amazing theme song thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time